The title of my message this morning is The Secret of Contentment. And as we were singing that song, I thought, well, there it is. There it is, the answers, keeping our eyes on Jesus, trusting in Him, knowing Him, letting Him be our all in all, that He truly is the answer. But I'm going to share my message anyway, being you already got the answer, and give us a little practical of how-tos. Contentment is a challenging attitude to maintain. It is elusive. At least it is for me. You know, I remember when I was in high school, and yes, I can remember that far back. Barely. It's getting a little bit cloudier all the time. But I remember in high school, I grew up on a farm, for those that don't know, and I could hardly wait to graduate and get off the farm and get away to college, and everything was going to be so much better. Until I got there, and then I wasn't content there either. After a couple of years, I, I remember I, I was constantly, actually, I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't saved, but I prayed. Anyway, Lord, get me through this. I can hardly wait till I get out of here and have a job. Once I have a job, once I'm making some money, everything's going to be so good. Finally, I graduated, squeezed those four years into five and got out of there. And then... I was really blessed because I got a teaching job in Minnesota because it paid so much better than South Dakota where I went to school. I was going to make a whopping $10,600. I had it made until I got up there and rented a little trailer house for 50 bucks a month or something. It didn't take long. I decided, I'm not sure this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Became very discontented with the situation. Came home to farm. That lasted about two years, and I thought, what am I doing here? I mean, I was broke before. I'm going on a very uh, slippery slope here, and it's in the wrong direction. So in my 40s, I'm in sales, and things seem good. But there was something, and this time it was a little bit of a different contentment, or discontentment, I should say. It was more of a holy discontentment. I knew I was not where the Lord wanted me to be. But up till that point, every stage of my life, discontentment crept in. And it still does. You know, I've been a pastor now for 25 years and love it. But you know, there's moments where that contentment just kind of starts to slip away. Not so much in what I'm doing, but how things are going, circumstances. Anybody struggle with those things but me? Somebody should at least nod so I know I don't, my insecurities don't flare up worse than they normally do. It's elusive, this contentment thing, if we're looking in the wrong places. You know, you think you know what's going to make you happy. You maybe even make a plan and you're going to go after it. Man, if I just have this, fill in the blank car, house, better job, what new wife, new husband, whatever. And you make a plan and you go after it. And by the time you get there and you finally have it, you realize this didn't do the job. Matter of fact, oftentimes once the quest is over, you feel worse than you did before you started. Contentment. Boy, do we live in a nation where discontent is everywhere. And it manifests throughout our culture in so many ways. 
not going to spend too much time on the negative, but I think it drives home the point so well when you look at things like consumer debt. You know, depending what you read, they, they're now saying that most families spend 10% more every month than they make every month. Why? You know what? I wish I could say Christians are way different, but it's not necessarily the case. Depending what statistics you look at, they say that we, even though it's gone down considerably, the average American household has over 8000 maybe $10,000 in credit card debt. Well, it makes sense. If you're spending 10% more than you make every month, you've got to get out on a credit card. Consumer debt, which would include mortgage, school loans, cars, all of those things, it's over $90,000 per household and rising rapidly. That number is probably low because of what it costs for homes, the student loans. It's soaring. Our nation has never had more consumer debt than we have today. Why? I was listening to a radio advertisement, a commercial, and then I, I also heard it on TV, and it was for a credit card. Imagine that, a commercial to get a credit card. And it, the line in there that just grabbed me was this. Apply for this credit card. You'll finally be able to buy everything you deserve. Everything I deserve? What in the world do I deserve that I don't already have? Depends on your perspective, doesn't it? High rate of mobility. And granted, there are reasons and exceptions to these things, but the mobility so often is because we're discontent. They say nowadays the average person is going to move into 11 or 12 different homes in their lifetime. 11 or 12. And they're going to have 12 to 14 different jobs in their lifetime. Now I realize our culture is shifting. And I realize sometimes those moves are absolutely necessary. And they are moves that we make that we are in God's will because we've sought Him, changing jobs, changing locations. I get that. But just think of the the discontent, and we're always trying to fill it with something. The divorce rate. Boy, the statistics there are mind-boggling, and they're all over the board, quite frankly. But they still say roughly 50 marriages will, 50% of the marriages will end in divorce. And again, even as a Christian, I do know and understand that there are times there are Divorce is really the only option. But it's not near as common as the statistics. We become unhappy and discontented, and we trade in for a new model, a better husband, a better wife, and so often the same problems occur because we're not willing to, to work at something to make it better, what God would intend. We're just not contented. Another thing that's gotten so common, I think you'll agree, all we have to do is listen and watch what's going on in our country. The declaration of people clamoring for their rights. Everybody is a victim. We deserve this, that, or the other thing. Clamoring for our rights. What we have isn't good enough. We're discontented. And last but not least, kind of goes with what I said before about debt. Spending money that we don't have or can't afford to spend. And probably as good a 
example of this as anything else is the lottery. Billions of dollars are invested in the lottery by the public every year. Over $70 billion. 40% of which goes directly to the government. The only tax we stand in line to pay. Why? Because we're not content. If we could just win the big jackpot, we would be so happy and contented. If you believe that, don't ever read the results of the people that win. Because it's not the case. And the odds of us winning are, if there's a 340-some million dollar jackpot, the odds of winning are over 353 million to one against you winning. The odds are better of getting killed in a national park by a bear. Seriously. Why, do, why are all these things so true? Discontentment. We're not a content people. We're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. And we'll go from there. But we're going to be reading this small section of Scripture that Paul, that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And I'll give you a little context after I read the Scripture. It says this, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's some really good advice. Verse 10, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now I know you were concerned before, but you had no opportunity to do anything. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Verse 12, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, whether I have plenty or have nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my troubles. Amazing statements throughout that section of Scripture. Paul is writing to a church that he truly loved. It was a church that he planted in, in Philippi. If you look through all the letters that Paul wrote, this letter contains the least amount of correction or rebuke of all his letters. It's almost totally a letter of encouragement to this church. And in the midst of that letter, he kind of puts in a little thank you note, thanking them for support that they had sent him. They had sent him support before. He knew they were concerned about him and cared for him. And we don't know what the reason was, but it says, I know you were concerned for me. You just didn't have opportunity. But he wants to make clear, because he follows that up by saying, I want you to know I don't have any needs. Well, what do you mean you don't have any needs? You hopefully know or probably know, when Paul is writing this letter, he is sitting in a Roman jail. And he's in this Roman jail because of a whole bunch of unjust rulers, false accusations, facing the possibility of being executed. I have no needs. 
Not only that, in those days, and it's still in a lot of countries yet today on the earth, if you're in jail and your family doesn't bring you money or food, you don't get to eat. And that would have been the case there. So obviously, he had needs. But his point was this, as the rest of that text uh, describes, I'm content. I am content. I have learned to be content. And it's interesting because contentment does not come natural because of Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, talk about an example of contentment that lasted only a part of chapter 2 of Genesis. They're in the garden. Everything you would ever want, they're walking during the day, in the cool of the day, with Jesus, with God, in the, in, in the, in the garden. How could you not be content? Everything was designed for them until that serpent showed up and planted the seeds of discontent. Did God really? You don't get to eat of that tree. He knows you'll be better than you are now. You'll be like him. Everything was perfect. Discontentment. That seed was planted and led to sin, which discontentment almost always does. Because sin, it's already a sin when we become discontented. And it's in this environment that Paul says these crazy words. I'm content. And I want to point out, he learned to be content. As I said, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's a learned character trait, attribute, that we're to have. You know, you ever been given advice from somebody who you know doesn't have a clue what you're going through? I mean, they're usually well-meaning and good-hearted people, but they'll come up to you and say something to try to encourage you, try to exhort you in the middle of the worst circumstances in your whole life. And they don't get it. And I know they don't get it, and I know that their advice probably isn't going to do me a bit of good anyway because they don't understand. Well, Paul is an example of someone who is giving us some advice here. And if there's anybody we should ever listen to about being content in any situation, it's the Apostle Paul. Listen to some of the things he says that he's endured in a couple of scriptures in 2 Corinthians. I don't believe these will be on the screen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, distresses, in beatings, in imprisonment, and in riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, and hunger. Chapter 11 of Second Corinthians, starting at verse 23, he gets a little more detailed. He says, I have worked much harder and been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, and in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. 
I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. One thing we could probably all agree on, I'm glad I wasn't his traveling partner. And he's the guy telling us, I have learned to be content in every situation and every circumstance. And as you read through those verses that I read from Philippians chapter 4, you can see quite clearly the answer has nothing to do with stuff, material goods. He's had nothing and been content. He's had abundance and been content. And it has nothing to do with his circumstances. I mean, if it had something to do with his circumstances, this guy has got an excuse probably greater than any of us would ever have or will ever have to not be a happy camper in the service of the Lord. Just pick two or three of those things that he's endured would be more than enough to overwhelm most of us and steal any contentment, any hope, any happiness, any joy that we might have. So this is the kind of guy I want to get advice from. Because if he could find contentment with that life, those circumstances, we can. Paul's saying, I found it. I've learned it. And I've learned it in every single circumstance. As we look at discontentment, we need to again remind ourselves this is a universal problem. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter any of these things. It's universal. And obviously there is a way to live contented. Paul learned it, and so can we. I think the primary answer is what we sang about in that last song. You know, do we really trust the Lord? Do we trust Him and believe that He is the only thing worthy of all of our worship, all of our adoration, all of our service? Do we believe Him that the things He says about us for us, what he's done, do we really believe and trust it? There's the bottom line answer in all of it. So what is contentment? I think we all have an idea of what it is. The Greek word autarkes means this, if you look it up, self-sufficient or independent. I don't need to probably go any further to figure out, for you to try to figure out, that's not what Paul said. Self-sufficient and independent. He made very, very clear in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things. How? Through Christ who gives me strength. That sounds like a very dependent person. That's the only source of our dependency. So it doesn't mean what the dictionary says. What does it mean to a Christian? There was a philosophy way back in, in Greek in the Greece, the Stoics, some of you have maybe heard of it. it. Quite frankly, it's a philosophy that is making a wonderful comeback today in our culture, in, especially in the field of psychiatry. But Stoicism, what Stoicism really became is they elevated this concept that we could be totally free from all of our wants and desires and totally free from any circumstance as long as we controlled our emotions. 
That became the highest virtue in the thinking of the Stoics. However, that way of thinking or that philosophy required you to detach yourself somehow from all emotion and to ignore all of the circumstances that change in our life from day to day, hour to hour. In other words, it's impossible. And that's obviously not what Paul was talking about. And if we look throughout Scripture, we see that contentment absolutely does not mean complacency. We need to remember that too. The Bible extols hard work. The Bible approves of wholeheartedly of the rewards that come from our hard work as long as we're not motivated by greed or something like that. So it's not complacency. It's not as Christians, we're content, so we're just going to kind of sit there. It's kind of like being a stoic. We're going to just sit there and, and we have no needs. There's no problems around us. We don't see any of it, therefore it doesn't exist. That's craziness. But at the same time, there can be a contentment in the midst of all of that. I'm going to read a couple of definitions that are written by different Christian writers, speakers, um, just to give us an idea of what it looks like. Contentment, here's the first one. Contentment is the fruit of having no higher ambition than belonging to the Lord and to be at His disposal. I like that. Nothing is more important to us. No greater ambition do I have than to belong to Him and to be available to do His service however He wants me to do it. The next one, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Really a lot more flowery language, but it pretty much says the same thing as the first one. All I want is to know Him and to be known by Him and to be able to serve Him. That's all. Whatever circumstance comes, it's about Him. Whatever situation I find myself in, I'm going to look to Him. It's all about being ready, willing, and desiring to know Him and to serve Him. And the last one that I put on that slide, contentment also means not being battered around by difficult circumstances or people because our life is centered on a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we have the steady assurance the Lord is for us and He will not forsake us. I think that is so good. Can't let... I mean, some of us, I know, some of us feel like we have been so beaten up, like we almost feel like we've been literally in a physical fight because circumstances and other people have just been unkind, to say the least. And we lose all focus. Our eyes are no longer trained on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. How do we acquire, how do we learn contentment? That really is the key, right? Paul says, I had to learn it. I have learned it. I, I hope I don't have to go through everything Paul went through before I learn it. And really, contentment is a lot like last week's message on thankfulness. We're commanded to be content. We're commanded to be content in who we are in Christ. Knowing 
if we understand the Bible at all, we are going to suffer as Christ suffered for him. And that's the key. Too much of my suffering is because of Mike and bad choices. But even if I could do all the things right, I'm still going to suffer for him because the Bible says we're going to suffer as he suffered. So I'm going to give you six quick points, I think quick points, and a scripture to go with each one. That are some things that we can do in this process of learning. And the first one, I'm not going to spend much time on because I spent the whole sermon on it last week. We want to become content, give thanks in everything. Thankfulness and, connect and, and, and contentment are, are like hand in hand. If I am more thankful and I express thanks and give thanks, I am going to find myself being more content. And if I be, am content, I should be continually giving thanks, as God commands us to do. From last week, you may remember 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We talked last week about it's a command from the Lord to not be giving thanks is actually therefore sin. And we also talked about it being a characteristic of a spirit-filled person. Thankfulness. First practical step. Second one, trust in God's plan for our life. First of all, we have to believe that God has a plan for our life. That we're not an accident. He has a specific plan, a specific destiny for each and every one of us. And we need to believe that and trust in that plan. Because in the midst of his plan, it doesn't always go super smooth. Amen? Man, we can know that we are in the will of God. We're doing what he wants us to do, where he wants us to be. And things around us just are going crazy. And because of it, we find ourselves suffering and having to deal with this pain, this, this mess that's normal in the life of a human being. In Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. We know that God causes all things to work together. He doesn't say all things are good. Make sure we understand that. Because there's a lot of things that happen to us that aren't good. A lot of things that happen to Paul that he wouldn't declare, boy, this is great, hit me again. No. But we need to trust and know that all things work to good for those who believe and are called according to his purpose, according to his will. And in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Why? Why? as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Now that is not how we usually think of the things or our emotions or feelings when we're going through the stuff. Like count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy, sisters. Why? Because we trust in God's plan for our life. There are so many things that I can look back on, and I think you could too, challenging things, difficult things. We would have called them bad things in our life, but we look back and say, you know what? Now I can see how God has used that for good in my life. Doesn't mean those things were good, but He has used them for good in our lives. And this is what 
we can learn from this is how we learn contentment. Learn to give thanks, trust in God's plan for your life. And number three, learn to be satisfied with little. Boy, oh boy, does that echo howl in American culture. Learn to be satisfied with little. Are you kidding me? If I just have a little more, I'll be more satisfied. As a matter of fact, if you could graph out all the things that I have and how I feel, they would go right together. The more I have, the better I feel. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Paul learned to be satisfied with little. Paul understood that coveting things, covetousness and contentment are mutually exclusive from one another. Have you discovered there is never enough? If we are desiring or wanting things out of the will of God, there's never enough. Our flesh will never be satisfied. And I I know we could all think of examples probably in our own lives, but certainly in the lives of others because they're always worse than us, right? If I only had, as soon as I get, as soon as this happens, I'll be happy. Well, you maybe will be, but it probably won't last more than an hour or two. I remember, man, when we build our home, we finally get out of this old place I couldn't stand living in anymore. There's contentment. I mean, I hated that place. We had an old oil burner in the middle of the living room and a bent above it so the hot air would hopefully go up. I hated that place. In the middle of the winter, the cistern would run out of water. We didn't have a well. Then I really got grossed out when we emptied the cistern and it was full of snakes. That was kind of... But it kept us warm. It allowed us to have a place to live for a number of years while we saved money for another house. And I thought, once we get into that house, you know what? When you get a new house and you build it, you know what starts to fall apart the day they put in the last nail? Things go wrong. And I complain about those things. You ever notice leaves fall off a tree every fall and i got to deal with them? I mean, think about all the ways this discontentment can creep into our hearts. And we don't even notice it. We need to be satisfied with small things, few things, little things. And that's what Paul said in 1 Timothy. He wrote, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, But godliness and contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How many of us would be content knowing there's one meal still in the house and I got one shirt, one pair of jeans, and two pair of shoes? Somebody just gave me something. Would we be content? I'd go home and look in the cupboard and start complaining and worrying. I mean, if there's not an extra gallon of milk in the refrigerator in the garage and the one goes empty in the house, honey, did you get groceries? Like I needed that to survive till morning. Discontentment. Every day we have opportunities to become discontent. Trust in God's plan. Give thanks. Be satisfied with little. Number four. Learn to live above the circumstances of life. Wow, that sounds so nice, doesn't it? But look at the example of Paul. Look at the scriptures that I read from 2 Corinthians about what he'd endured. And yet he's saying, I have learned to be content in everything. No matter what the circumstance of my life, I am content. He is sitting in a prison in Rome, falsely accused by a bunch of reprobate leaders with the threat of being executed. And he writes to all these churches in Corinth and in... in, Philippi and 
Thessalonica. He writes all these letters. He's in jail, for goodness sakes. I'm so content. I'm so at peace. In 2 Corinthians 12, here the context is, most of us I think are familiar with, Paul, Paul had a, what he called a thorn in the flesh. The Bible really isn't crystal clear on what the thorn in the flesh is, so people argue about it all the time. I personally fall in the camp that says, man, Lord, will you, when I go to all these cities and I'm doing your will and I'm sharing the good news of the gospel, would you remove this thorn? Every time I go there, I get beaten up, stoned, thrown in jail. But it could be something else. But whatever it is, it was a problem. And he prayed to God three times. And in 2 Corinthians 12, it says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That's not the answer I want to hear when I'm praying for something that's causing me misery. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I shall boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Don't get it wrong. Paul did not glorify the pain and the suffering. He didn't say, Give me more. But he said, whatever comes, when I'm weak, he is strong. God infuses with his power, which is directly linked to the fifth point, learn to rely on God's power and provision. You know, the scripture from Philippians 4, verse 13, I love this scripture. So many people, it's their favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can go through all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things. I mean... It gets misapplied a lot, amen? You know, I probably couldn't go one-on-one with Michael Jordan and win. Just give me strength, one more basket. Probably not what it means. I probably couldn't go into a science laboratory and say, God, God, give me the strength to split the atom today. Not going to happen. The context, look at the context here. What is he praying about in Philippians chapter 4? What is he praying about? He's praying about being content. He's praying about learning to be content. I believe I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because I can do whatever he calls me to do. He will give me the strength. Whatever position he puts me in, whatever circumstance I am in, he will glorify himself and he will give me the strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can endure all things through Christ. It's like he endures, endures me with the power from on high to get through. Paul says, that is how I survive. Hebrews 13.5, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Put those two verses together. Man, that's amazing stuff right there. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and he will never leave me and he will never forsake me no matter what my circumstance, no matter what, I, what situation I'm in. If I am like Paul and I'm doing the will of God and I'm sitting in a prison facing possible execution, I don't care. I don't care. God, if you want me to die and lose my head, as long as you get the glory, that's all I want. Paul learned this. He learned this. Paul's a man, human, just like us. We can learn. And the sixth one, the last one I'm going to go through, and it's by no means the end of anybody's list, simply says this. Focus on the needs of others. 
A person who is so self-focused will never be content. Never be content. That self-centered person is a person who is filled with discontentment. If it's all about me, me is never satisfied. Paul says, and he gives us kind of the kind of a summary of his whole mindset here in, in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That kind of spirit, that generous spirit, that one who wants to serve others. You know, just in these last couple of weeks, many of us in here gave away many, many, many boxes of food. Five or six hundred of them. Do you think anybody felt better than you felt the moment you were able to hand it to them and they started thanking you? It blesses us. It blesses us. And, and Paul is saying this is one of the ways we learn to be content because we can serve others. Learn to give thanks. Learn to be trusting God's plan for your life. Learn to be satisfied with little. Learn to live above the circumstances of life. Learn to rely on God's power. Focus on the needs of others. So where do we start? That's kind of quite a list. I would say that many of us need to start in the same place. At least that's where I need to start. Repenting of my grumbling, complaining, and discontentment. God, forgive me. Forgive me for being so discontent. I am so blessed. Not by material things, not by circumstances. I am so blessed because I get to call you Father. And you look at me and say, I'm your child, I'm your son. What else matters? Start, quite possibly, with repentance. And then ask the Holy Spirit. You know what? If it's something that can be learned... Most of the time, I need help learning something. We have the Holy Spirit, the greatest teacher in the universe, living in us. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to be content. The desire for contentment and the ability to be content both come from the Lord. We can't find it in us. It's not there. But we have the Holy Spirit. So even just praying, God, forgive me. I'm so thankful for all of the things. Go ahead and go from there. And ask him. Remember Paul's words. Remember the scripture so many of us know by heart. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can actually learn to be content through the strength that Christ will give me. can't do it on my own, Lord. But with you... I can do it. It means I can be content in every circumstance, every situation, because of the strength of Jesus. Jesus, as usual, is the classic example of contentment. And he is also the one who saved us from the sin of discontentment. We just need to keep our eyes on him, like that song we sang. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you 
thanking you for your goodness and love and mercy towards us, your patience with us, your patience with me. Father, I confess that I have been discontent so many times in so many ways. I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to show me those things quickly, that I could be quick to confess it. I could be so quick to see you. Help me to fall more in love with Jesus every day. I put a commercial in the middle of my prayer. There's a story that goes like this about don't know that it's true. Somebody came while Paul was in prison in Rome to visit him. And he was there with one of the people who were there serving Paul. He actually was served while he was in prison. And he met with Paul one-on-one and talked to him and visited with him. And when he was leaving, he said to the servant, he says, I have never been in the presence of such peace and such power. Tell me, what is the secret? How can this man in prison have such peace? And I just sense the power in that cell. And the servant says, it's easy. He's in love. And the visitor looked at him with an incredulous look on his face and says, that's all? He's in love? And he said, being in love with Jesus is everything. Everything. Lord, I pray that you would just woo us and draw us to yourself. Reveal to us, Holy Spirit, the things that are interfering in our intimacy with you, the growing relationship you desire to have for us, God, that would be such a joy, such a blessing to each one of us. God, I pray that as we are in this world, we live as if we do not belong in this world, that we don't let the things of the world become distractions or become idols in our life. God, that you are preeminent, you always have been, you always will be. God, I pray that we would live lives that demonstrate your preeminence. Father, I pray that every day we learn more and more about how to be content. Secret that you don't want kept secret. That we could demonstrate it to the world around us. Watch it draw people to Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to worship together today. I pray that as we go our different directions right now, Lord, that you truly are going before us by your Spirit. Give us the discernment to hear your voice respond to opportunities that you give us. When there's opportunities to speak, give us words to speak. We need to be quiet and just love on people. Help us to be quiet and just love people. We continue to pray for your protection and we pray. continue to pray for peace in this nation. God, I just pray for truth to reign in this nation. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.